Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Kyle Kinane is a comedian who is the voice of Comedy Central for a decade. Kinane released his first album, Death of the Party, via AST Records, followed by a half hour and two hours on Comedy Central and another half hour on Netflix. His most recent hour, Shocks and Struts, was released on YouTube in March 2023 via 800 Pound Gorilla Media. Kinane sat down with me while on tour to support the new special, where we reminisced about the 2007 HBO U.S. Comedy Arts Festival in Aspen, Kinane's successes on the game show At Midnight, as well as how he defines success in his life and career today. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! No, I, no pre-written bits. <laughs> I appreciated your uh, tweet, uh, since you're still on Twitter, uh, as of this moment. I, I mean, I don't know. Well, if, is if, that you? It's, or I don't is know it Elon... in what capacity. <laughs> what, what do you think it says, uh, first off, that uh, that you're allowed to, to be on there as Elon Musk with a Jeff Bezos? It, part of me thought, like, oh, man, I'm not big enough to be booted off. Like, I'm not, I'm not, like, still not famous enough to, for anybody to give a shit. But then it's fun, too, because, like, most 95%, 99% of interactions, my name still comes up if people, I just get people bitching about Elon Musk to me. <laughs> like, buy my NFT. This is unacceptable. SpaceX is made, whatever is space, what is. Yeah, I'm like, all right, man. I was, fun. I was replying at first, but I'm like, it's just too much. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's not, it's, it's good. The worse that place is, the less interested. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm fine to watch it topple. Uh, although you, you you mentioned on on Twitter the other day that um, you hope this this strike ends with the Writers Guild and the producers, just mm-hmm. so uh, the writers don't all go back to stand up. Yeah, I was just uh, I was being a little bitch. <laughs> yeah, real. Yeah, it was a real locals only vibe I wanted to have on that. No, I. It's funny because like I I have a lot of friends that. I mean, obviously, a lot of stand-ups get writing gigs. Right. And it's fun when you ask me, like, how's that gig? And it's always the, like, the reluctant, like, yeah, no, that's no, good. It's good. You know, no, it's good. It's good. Because, yeah, they get steady income, but then they love stand-up. Right. But you're so burnt out from writing stand-up all day for somebody else. Right. Or writing, being, like, being, being in a writer's room. Yeah. And- sort of, like, want to go afterwards. I, I, actually, I'm, like, I'm pretty excited to see people that are, like, <laughs> whoo, I like like oh I, I miss these guys I miss all the, my friends <laughs> like it'll be fun to see them do it I was just being a little I'll get my friends back yeah I was just being bitchy on there well, bitchy, you, you, bitchy on Twitter you do, have a, you do have a playful tone on social media is that what we're calling yeah because right. I mean I guess you could also say it was like bitchy about mm-hmm. having to make TikToks of crowd work or oh yeah I just and people think like I hate all crowd work no I hate people I hate bad crowd work Mm-hmm. And the fact that people see that as just this easy, or perceive it to be this easy bounce towards a viral clip, and so everybody's putting out. Like I see clips, I'm like, I would delete this from my phone if I took this at a show. <laughs> you put it online? What do you what? And captioned it. Yeah, and it's like, 
there was that mentality of like just as long as there's content out there and I'm like oh god what a sea of shit we've created yeah well I mean it's not like everything in mine is gold let me put it but there's this idea of trying to get the get rich quick aspect of maybe I can skip all the steps yeah I mean and anything I feel you know I feel bad for the TikTok stars. Like, all right, well, you have a lot of followers. How are you going to monetize that? Well, we'll put you in a comedy club. But they're not stand-ups. They're TikTok folks. And then they go and sell hundreds of tickets, and people get there and like, oh, yeah, you had 10 minutes of material, and now you're on stage for an hour. And I don't even blame them. I blame, like, the managers or whoever, like, gets a hold of them, just puts them out there to make that quick percentage off of them before they burn out or realize that they're not stand-ups. But, yeah, like you were saying, man, late-stage capitalism fucks <laughs> us all. <laughs> yeah, how do you be? A, how, how do you even operate as a stand-up in this environment? I mean, I thought there was, a, there was a brief moment in time where we all thought stand-up, live stand-up comedy would go away with the pandemic. So yeah. the fact that we're back. Oh, yeah, we're far too up our own ass to let it die. <laughs> But, uh, you know, preparing to come meet you, it's been a while since we've sat next to each other. Uh, yeah. When we look at what, years? Year, many years, yeah. But we met at uh, Aspen in 2007. Uh, the last Aspen. The last HBO Aspen Festival. That, yeah, that was... In 2007. My, my career went up like Elon's last rocket on that one. <laughs> really? I <laughs> Barely made it off the launch pad. <laughs> Well, since it's been over 16 years, what are you more surprised that you're still doing stand-up, or are you more surprised that I'm still doing this? <laughs> I talking and writing about comedy. Uh, What's more surprising I, to you? I mean, I still love doing it. You still love being around it yeah. and report. That's pretty cool. I don't know that I, I don't know that I have the same fervor for going out to clubs. But that's an aging thing. That's not a... Yeah, the, yeah. I mean, I go because I'm going there to work. But like, that's why like, I come here, and there's all these people I haven't seen in forever. It just turns into 4 a.m. <laughs> it really just Cinderella's into 4 a.m. so fast. <laughs> and not even, even, like, not even like I'm getting wasted. Just like, oh, you're sipping on drinks. All of a sudden, it's 4. It's 4.30. I'm like, God, I can't do this, man. <laughs> like... I woke up 20 minutes ago to do this <laughs> 1 p.m. podcast with you. You said you your your career didn't quite rocket at the HBO Aspen Festival. No, I didn't do well. I didn't. I wasn't focused. I think I drank too much out of nerves before my set because I thought that was part of my character or what have you. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to sell it under pressure. I didn't know how to look at a room of executives in a ski town, <laughs> and I did not know how to relate to them with material about low self-esteem. <laughs> I felt like a fraud, or maybe I felt like they were frauds, and I was like, oh, now I'm a commercial product mm-hmm. dancing for these people. It's still a great opportunity, but I did not display uh, an it factor for show business. Yeah, but at the same time, at that same festival... The name that I remember hearing about not doing well was John Mulaney. I remember the buzz around Aspen was that John Mulaney didn't do well. 
He was at that festival? Yeah. See, that's how bad, that's how poorly he did. <laughs> you don't even remember he was there. Well, I hope he lands on his feet. I hope he recovered from it. <laughs> no, I, there were a lot of characters I, that year. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember Melania. I was there with T.J. Miller and mm-hmm. Michelle Buteau and Eric Andre. Yep. And, and it's also, I I mean, it was, uh, it was still, you know, as an opportunity, it was great. I just... I get this. I, I project a lot, and I'm looking at everybody like who's talking to somebody. Like who? Who's that? Who's who are they talking to? Why are they talking? I just, I just had like a, I had a, I bad attituded myself into a corner because I like I didn't know how to schmooze or not even schmooze, just be social. <laughs> like I didn't know how to interact and be a part of a thing and it was were you still living in chicago at that time or had you moved no i was in la for about three or four years oh wow okay it happened yeah and it was i mean i've said it before but it's like it was kind of great because i bombed at that and then i was like oh well i blew it i guess i just do instead of thinking like well what stand-up do i have to do that could be relatable because at the time you could still get like maybe a sitcom based on your act or Mm -hmm. something like well how is my act relatable and can be turned into a show? And then after that, I'm like, fuck all that. I guess I'm just going to do stand-up. And then that's when everything works. So it did help in a way that it got me on track. Right. It helped inadvertently. Yeah. Because it put me on the track that got me here of like, well, you blew it with showbiz, and now just do stand-up because you love doing stand-up. Yeah, you you started Mm -hmm. out by describing the experience to me as you were unfocused. Mm -hmm. But... In actuality, you realized you were just focused on the wrong thing. Yeah. I was like, oh, be, yeah, be free, buddy. <laughs> talk about what you want to talk about. Don't worry about if it's marketable. And not like I wasn't doing some elusive avant-garde material. Or mm-hmm. I was just like, I'm going to stop being worried about who might be in the room or anything. It's like, mm-hmm. well, there's some people in this room that are here to see a good comedy show. I would like to do comedy for them. <laughs> That's who I'd like to do comedy for. What was your Chicago experience like? I mean, if you had already left... For LA, a few years before that, you were yeah. part of like the first wave of, yeah, like 90, of that 99. Chicago. Yeah, Mike Bridenstine just wrote a book about those right. those days. You know, there was a bunch of people doing stand up. Like nobody was going to get famous. So everybody just wanted to be real good. There was some playing to the back of the room, but there was also well, we, people were coming to shows. Like you know, it's been talked about. Like the the, the open mic on Monday had. Hundred some people at it of just audience members. That was like, the lion's den. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, you want to do good. And Mark Geary with the Lincoln Lodge put all this effort into doing these quirky little shows at the Lincoln Lodge, and then he put production. But you got there, you like realize this was just a back room of a restaurant that you brought a stage and curtains and lights in every weekend. And so you're like, I want to do good on this. You look at all the effort everybody else has put it in. I want to do good on this show, and. I think it grew now. Now I don't even know how. There's so much stage time there. Mark Geary's got a brick-and-mortar Lincoln Lodge with, like, three or four stages inside of it. And, yeah, that's just from everybody just wanted to be good. Not famous, not, you know, people move to L.A. or New York with it's like, well, stand-up's a reason for me to get up in front of people that can maybe help me make it in showbiz. And did, and you, pick, did you pick L.A. because at that time you still thought? About the the stand-up to sitcom pipeline? No, I picked L.A. because um, I grew up in Chicago. If I was going to move to pursue a stupid dream, I was going to do it with palm trees. (laughs) I can't. I got what what now is known as seasonal depression, which I did not realize. And I would get, like, 
was a big old bitch every winter. <laughs> I was like, well, if my life is going to suck, it's going to suck close to the beach. <laughs> so <laughs> that that was it. That was strictly. And I knew, I knew more people out there than here. Mm-hmm. So. I was looking back. I mean, I'm on like episode 430, but I noticed that you were on episode 30 of Mark Marin's WTF. Yeah, I was uh <laughs> You're one of the guinea pigs because I I went back and listened to that episode. Mm-hmm. It's it's a completely different format from what it is now. I was like morning radio. He's like I'm going to lead you into this bit that you do. I'm like this is weird, man. <laughs> I think I had featured for him in uh, Atlanta, and he's and he was like he was he's like I got like a, I got a podcast, and uh, I don't know, you know it was like back when it was embarrassing to be like right. I have a podcast and we want to do it. And he's come over, I'll make some food, you know. So yeah, <clears throat> I went to his house and sat in his garage, and it was like it's like I know Mark Marin from festivals and like old school Mark Marin, right. like I. had didn't meet him but like cross paths like when I was still partying Mark Marin. <laughs> like I didn't interact with him then, but like I I was at the Chicago Festival, I think that got him sober. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, because if you started in ninety nine, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it w- it was one of those things like, and I'll do like I'll do the thing and I'll I'll lead you into the bit. I'm just like why why ah, so feels I, so strange. So I, I haven't listened to it, but I'm like I wonder if it's very obvious that it was the setup into a bit kind of format. Well, I wonder, was there, does that mean that it was so early that there wasn't a real bump for you for doing that? Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it was a, it, it it was was a few so, years before he was, got Barack Obama on it the was, show. <laughs> it, was so, it was so early in podcasting and in his yeah, career we're, that we're, just doing a podcast... No, people didn't even wouldn't, know what they were. It wasn't like the Johnny Carson effect where you do it and suddenly no. you're booking dates and selling records. No, and- I think it was early enough where I was like, so what, I listen to this on CD? How do I get these podcasts? So <laughs> I don't even know. If, I don't think I knew what they were <laughs> as much as like, people would do a podcast. I'm like, I don't even know where these go after we talk. I don't have an app. Like, I don't know where they live. <laughs> I don't know where How do you a podcast it? goes. <laughs> Somebody knows, so I'll do it, but I don't know where they go. No, it's fair. I mean, I didn't start until 2015, and a large part of that was feeling like mm-hmm. I didn't know how to do it. I mean, in yeah. retrospect, it's remarkably easy. I still don't know. Somebody puts them on the Internet. I just talk, <laughs> and then and then we. I, the fact that I figured out how to send an audio file to Dropbox, which I only know <laughs> half of the time if it goes there. I still get emails like, it's not up didn't go up i'm like i sent it said it sent i don't know so how did you your first record was with a special thing right yeah it was death of the party how did 2010 you, I think. how did that end up coming into being just the a special thing and and you they were i'm <clears throat> were you that on was, those, were you on those message boards that was the biggest bump back in those days back in the 2000s mm-hmm. at least in my opinion it was because they had Death Ray was the show that De- before Bang Bang, yeah, before Death Comedy Bang Bang it was called Comedy Death Ray. And they used to do it at a place called M Bar. Then it moved when UCB opened up in LA mm-hmm. on Franklin. They would do it there, and so everybody they would do recaps of the shows on those on the a special thing was the message board. That's what it started as, like a Tenacious D fan uh, message board. 
but people would do these recaps of these shows, and then if you like Death Ray, you'd get like I'm still new, so like it was like all the regulars were like Paul F. Tompkins and you know Chelsea Peretti and Zach Galifianakis and Miss Sarah Silverman, and like get like once one spot for like a new person on there. <laughs> but then after that would be the show. See you next Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. And the people would stick around. There would be a free show. So mm-hmm. if you watch that, people would stay around. And that's where all the new ones, like the, the newbies like me, came in. And you wanted to, like, knock it out of the park. Because if you did, they'd chat you up on that message board. And that's what turned into things. And, and then the Special Things Records guy, they were the ones there mm-hmm. kind of helming the shows and everything. And they had just, not just started that label, but they only had a few people out. Is that Matt? Matt? Uh, yeah, Matt Belknap and Ryan McMenamin. Mm-hmm. And so when they're like, hey, do you think you want to do a record with us? I was like, what? Like, that was like Sub Pop asking me to do a record. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Which I now know Sub Pop also does comedy. But I meant in, like, in the sense of like what it like this awesome like vetted indie label. Because I was looking at like the who else they put records out by. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I would love to do that. That's yes. Thank you. And so I record like I think I quit. My job, and recorded that a week afterwards. What were you? What was the job? I was doing closed captioning with Matt Bronger, closed captioning TV, and uh, he he got me the job. Yeah, it was. You know what? For a day job, it wasn't bad. But uh, so I was like, "Fuck! All right." I was so scared to quit a day job. I'm not like these people. Like, it'll all work out. It'll all fall into place. I'm like, no. I need to know how much money I'm making a week. Mm-hmm. I need to like budget. I'm like a real tight ass with money. I'm like, I gotta watch this. So for me to quit my job, I was like, all right. Well, I gotta record this album. I gotta go on the road immediately. And it was probably within a couple months of that. I was like featuring for Marin in Atlanta when I met him and did the podcast. So, yeah. Well, I guess if you're gonna have a uh, another sort of day job in comedy, being the voice of Comedy Central is a pretty decent. Oh one yeah, that was have. a that was a fun one. <laughs> that was a fun ten years. How did that come about? It was just they just started asking like, "Do you want to? Hey, do you want to come in and read these spots?" I was like, "Yeah, all right, what are you reading? Yeah, hey, mm-hmm. watch watch this show. Hey, you want to come in next week and read these spots? All right, yeah, I'll do it again." And so then that's it was, how it worked? You, like once a week you come in? And well, yeah, I was just slowly ramping up into like more and more times I'd come in. And then eventually I'm like, is this my job? Like I had to ask, I'm like, am I putting Penn Gillette out of business right now? Like, I mean, I'm sure he's all right with his Vegas show oh, and everything. Oh, right, he was a voice. Yeah, I think I was kind of overlapped him. And uh, I got I got in as unceremoniously as I got out. <laughs> the same thing happened. Like I got all of a sudden ten years in, like less and less sessions booked in the studio. Were you paid per session, or were you on a contract? I had I was monthly. I tried to get contract. Like no, we just don't do that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I'm because I'm like big on like I want to know how much I'm going to get. I'm gonna like kind of like be able to rely on like all right for this year i'm gonna make this you know which stand-up is not the best choice if you want to be paranoid about your income but yeah and then it was funny because it was uh dave bory who's the voice now and he's my pal but there's a couple people like yeah i read some promos for comedy central i'm like all right the more the merrier and dave's like hey you still doing comedy central promos i'm like i don't know here and there he's like yeah, because I'm doing a lot of them. <laughs> I, was, I was like, man, man, Dave's cool, man. I, hey, you know, that's how it works. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, I was a little bit just like, hey, you don't say anything? 
Just after 10 years, you don't... They, they you, just ghosted you? Pretty much, until I started like, hey, am I not doing this anymore? Like, I had to, like give me a direct answer. That's so wild, because and, you were uh, also, like, one of their big talents. In uh, terms of, like, I mean, you put out multiple records and specials yeah, with yeah, them. Yeah, Comedy Central was a thing for a while in yeah. my life, and then it's not really a thing anymore anywhere. So. No, it, no, it's wild, because I remember recently talking to Roy Wood Jr., who... Mm-hmm. It's still on the payroll over there, the yeah, Daily yeah. Show. But all of his specials are Comedy Central specials. Yeah. And I remember asking him once, like, are these going to be on Paramount Plus? Or because Paramount Plus is the same company. He's like, I don't know, man. Well, it's wherever <laughs> Comedy don't... Dynamics wants to put him because Tom- Comedy Dynamics bought up the rights to all of them. So uh, I got to uh, talk to uh, Brian Volkweiss. Yeah, go talk to him. <laughs> Go talk to him. I hope he's making some money off of everybody's comedy specials, because I know we aren't. You can pick it. You can strike. I guess, you, no, you can't really strike that. No, let's write a new special. Yeah. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I can do. I can just write new, I just keep doing this. Hannibal did that once. <clears throat> Remember <clears throat> Hannibal redid a record? Oh, did he re-record? I, was, I, I he thought re- about doing that. Re- bef- and that was years before Taylor, Taylor Swift was doing that kind of thing. Well, it was, uh, who originally did that? Wasn't that uh, John Fogarty? I don't remember. I, I, bl- I, remember I believe Hannibal. the I believe the band Love Hate also may have done that. Only because I went searching for that's a, like a hair metal band from the eighties. I went looking for. I'm like, these aren't the same as the songs that I liked, and I think they must have like re-recorded because okay. of that circumstance. But no, yeah, I, I remember Hannibal doing it for a comedy record, and Hannibal I remember also was the first for those yonder pouches where you put your oh, cell phone yeah. in. Oh so Those those I agree with. I don't have a problem with. Just from, like, the distraction level of, like, all right, yeah, your phone's away. Yeah. Watch the show. What if what if my babysitter calls? Then go outside. <laughs> then do what you did before you had a cell phone. <laughs> did you just <laughs> cook meat over a flame in a cave before a cell phone? No, you fucking lived. You'll be fine. It's so funny because going back to listen to that 2009 episode of You with Mark Maron, mm-hmm. that was on your mind then was... I think it was just emerging where people were watching movies but still had their cell phones out. And you're like, why are people uh, uh, doing that? And now it's, it's everywhere. I, I, I don't go to the movies. I think maybe in part because I can't watch somebody's screen light up. Right. In the movie theater. Yeah, you said that 14 years ago. Yeah, and I still, I, but that's, I still agree that that's just rude. But I think that actually now more people realize that. Mm-hmm. And the few times I do go to the movies. I mean, I'm not going... I think I went to a movie in Times Square once when I was here, and it was just like, this is chaos. How much do you see it when you're on stage as a stand-up, though? Not much anymore. I think pe- I think the words got out. Like, we all have these. They're not new. So, be, you know, and I'm not going to get, I'm not going to freak out if I see it light up. If you're just sitting there texting the whole time, yeah, get fucked. <laughs> but if somebody like, oh, something bleeped, oh, Okay, I'm not going to get his... What if somebody's like this, where they're holding the phone? Yeah. The f- and you're not sure yeah. if they're taking a photo or video? And the, and the video thing is like, all right, I think a popular acknowledgement is like that this you don't do this, and a mm-hmm. club will, even a club will come by, or somebody in the show will be like, oh, yeah, you can't do that. And I think my, I, well, I, don't, I think my patient is gro- patience is growing to the point of like, oh, maybe they don't know, and somebody will say something. Or I'll be like, oh, please don't do that, instead of... Early on, I would freak out if the slightest thing went wrong. I didn't have that playfulness with a crowd. 
Like, well, what are we talking about over here? And so he's like, I'm ordering a drink from the server. I'm like, I'm sorry. I am uh, I'm a little tightly wound. <laughs> these, these jokes have to be said perfectly or else I'm, it's a long story. If it goes off track, I'm fucked. I don't have, uh, it's not one-liners. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> the teleprompter doesn't stop moving. If I, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I don't I, keep I, up with it, I'm get it. I'm real scrambled. <laughs> when did you start growing a beard? This is a pivot. Yeah, it's a hard pivot. We'll fix it in post. It was after it was after JFL. After I'm like, oh, I got to shave and look this way, and it was so 2007. Mm-hmm. Back before beards were a thing, I was just like, nah, I'm just gonna look like a fucking psycho. I don't care. It was like really part of the outward, like I don't care. I'm gonna do. But it re- com- comedy the way I want to do comedy. I'm gonna look like this maniac. Right. I mean, it, but it really has become part of. Your aesthetic, your charm. It's every middle-aged comic little warbly neck. Yeah, but when you, you have one, I have one. Every yeah. dude with a weak jawline has one. <laughs> right, but it's not part of my. If if you the times where you shave, it's very dramatic. Like I remember oh, seeing I've, you. I, I know I have the internet. <laughs> I'm made aware of it, <laughs> in not so polite ways. <laughs> What was that show? The, love? Yeah. Did you have to have a show Love? Yeah. You, you were clean shaven. I was like, who is that? My ass was in that, and people who were more upset that? about seeing my face than seeing my ass. No, I don't, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making a value judgment. I just think oh, you, other you, people you, have. Right. I'm saying other people have. But it kind of plays into, you know, on your newest special, Shocks and Struts, mm-hmm. available on YouTube via 800 Pound Gorilla Media. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you joke about the disparity between what you look like and how you actually are I guess well I don't think I look like as much of a maniac anymore like a beard's commonplace I think it's even probably falling out of fashion at this point but I mean like in which like which bit was I like uh, I think you, you I think I'm gonna have to paraphrase that you look like you might be the type of person who wants to kidnap a Democratic governor? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you got to think that that was recorded last May of 22. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think I did that on May 5th, a year ago. I recorded that a year ago. And so some of that stuff was a little more fresh. But, yeah, it was every every picture of every dude with, like, sunglasses backwards on their head. Right, with, you like, might be an insurrectionist. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the look. It's, right. it's the, but that's, it's, the, that's it's, the thing is, like... Part of it, dudes like hiding weak chins. Part, but part of the comedy is the fact that people might perceive you as one thing, but then the things that come out of your mouth. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've got like tattoos and a beard, which is not punk rock affiliated anymore. It's it's not like oh that guy's a hot water music fan. It's like no, nope, that guy's uh, meeting out behind Burger King <laughs> with the other truck buddies and. Uh, Sorting out how to get these politicians correct, you know. Uh, but it's just like this is the look I get. like. This is what I feel comfortable. Like the beard early on, it's probably just a mask. Is probably just a way to like, oh, it's I'm hiding my face, you know. Mm-hmm. Or early on, like, all right, I feel like I feel like I'm kind of doing jokes from behind a tree a little bit. <laughs> and it also was something that was more eye catching back then because I didn't look like other like. Again, it was also L.A., so everybody's trying to look as handsome as they can or whatever character they're trying to be. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to like not try and look like I want any of this. 
which is ironic that that's the look that turned into like every doughy friend on a sitcom is that look now. <laughs> I think. Well, I think there was a period where uh, after The Hangover, when everybody was uh, looking for yeah. Zach, someone who looked like and acted like Zach. I yeah, some of that was definitely like a Galifianakis. I mean, in, in his look, it was like. Also, he's like his one-liners and weird stuff, and he's like a, like a weird dude. And I, I like that is his whole thing suited him, right? And I think now he's like, yeah, now he knows he's got to <laughs> try to shave or like not be like, oh, you're the guy. Like he's like he's like, it's Zach Galifianakis. I'm sure he does get a little. I'm not gonna speak for him, but <laughs> you're this one guy. Like, no, I'm actually a lot of things, and <laughs> like anybody gets picked out for their one role that people recognize, right? Um, and then I get recognized as being in The Hangover because I was, I was in Asia and everybody's like, oh, like I was doing a show. And I'm like, not that this many people are not just like amateur stand-up comedy fans. Like, oh, no, they all think you're Zach Galifianakis from The Hangover. I'm like, well, I'll take pictures with him. I don't give a shit. With the new special, you know, I also mentioned it's out on YouTube, mm-hmm. which is, I don't know if it's the trendy thing to do now or if it's just... People are so fed up with trying to compete with the other algorithms. What yeah. was what was the what was the calculus for you? I just knew that's where it was going to go. Um, nobody was going to buy it. Netflix has their guys, has their bearded white guys mm-hmm. of stand up. Even though you have a great half hour on there, thanks, but wasn't enough for me to break through the threshold of. Segura, Kreischer, <laughs> Bargatze, whoever else. And, and, and again, like, I, I get what... Bargatze I, left I, for Amazon. I mean, he went to Amazon. And that's not a snipe at them by any mm-hmm. means. Like, they have their guys filling that quota. Mm-hmm. And I know that, and I'm not offended by that. But it's also, like... Yeah, what am I going to go? Go to them and shop all this stuff around. Like, I didn't... The label, like, well, we're going to shop it around. I'm like, it's going to wind up on YouTube. Let's just put it out now. Well, some of these jokes about pandemic and everything are still closer to being relevant. Mm-hmm. There's another six months of them shopping it around, everybody saying no to it, which I knew was going to happen, but now it's just proven, and I get to feel sad about it. And then it went to YouTube. So I'm like, okay, good. We're six months later, and it's doing exactly, we're doing <laughs> what I wanted to do a half a year ago with it. <laughs> Um, but I, but of course, they, of course, they need to shop it around. And the label put up the money to tape. They want to make the money back, so I can't get mad at them for doing that. That's of course that's what they needed to do. So I'm like right. begrudgingly like, all right, maybe you guys get a can cover your costs, but I don't think it's going to go anywhere but YouTube. Did and, you did you have a big premiere event where you were no. in a live chat or anything like that? Oh, or? I did do that. That was a suggestion. I was I was in Australia when it came out. Oh, so, so, I was just, I was so like, then you have the time difference. Yeah, so. it was like 10 a.m. I'm like, ah, okay, here's my special, everybody. A couple interactions in the comments section, and then uh, press press super donate. Yeah, I didn't do. I I honestly every time something came out, I would like go to the woods or go to some place where my cell phone didn't work because I didn't want it because I knew I would like obsessively start looking at comments or mm-hmm. something, and I'm like, I don't want to know. Like, let it debut and let me be, like, three days where I can't think about it. So I would go camping or something. Is that also why you moved to Oregon? No, I just moved there because the pandemic fucked oh, up everybody's pandemic. lives. <laughs> yeah. Didn't okay. fuck it up, but we just, yeah. So 
me and the missus had a chance to move up there, so we went up there. So we'll see for how long. I don't know, but I like it. How does it feel to to operate in this business without being in one of the power centers? <clears throat> well, I don't. I mean, you're not even I, at the comedy mothership in it's Austin. Because I don't care about the business anymore. <laughs> it's because I'm a traveling salesman. So if I live near, if I near live near a city where there's stage time and an airport, that's all my requirements are. I'm not trying to act. I'm not trying to write. If somebody wants me to be in something, they're like, we wrote this part for you, Kyle, and you don't have to audition. I'll do that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I'm not going to drive around doing an audition. At least not now I'm not interested in any of that stuff. I just All I wanted to be was a stand-up, and then I got to be a stand-up. And then, awesome. And Portland's got a bunch of shows. I mean, obviously not as much as like some other cities, but a good amount. It's got a good amount of work regionally that if I go, oh, I want to do an hour, try it out. Mm-hmm. Drive around the Northwest, get it done. And then I go to the airport and go work the road. Would you do a triple run? Fucking, I don't even know what, <laughs> where those are anymore. I, I don't know either. I just, I mean, coming out of Seattle in the 90s, I... I mean, I've <laughs> done, I think were, I've done legendary. some... St- I don't know if... <clears throat> I did meet Tribble. I met Tribble at Bridgetown. Oh, back, really? Back in the day, yeah. I've got a I've got a video of me talking to Tribble. I I mean I for the uninitiated like notoriously nightmarish. All right, well it's twelve hours between towns. Billings in <laughs> Boise. Yeah, yeah. Got you booked in January. I Bronger and I purposely did one of those a couple months ago. We're like, let's just go to the coldest place. Let's do a mini tour together. Did you dr- <laughs> Did you take that van? No, no, no. Fortunately, well, we started in Sioux Falls. Okay. During that like snow apocalypse thing a couple months ago, like the the threatening blizzard, and we started there. And there's a promoter. We we're gonna drive with our buddy Sean Jordan. He's like, I got my mom's Prius. We'll be fine. And then, no and then the blizzard hit like the night of the first show. Because and the promoter's like, I would really hope that you do not take a Prius. He's like, I have a leased. Chevy Suburban that's part of the production company like we could just he's like and then we woke up in the morning we're like yeah okay we'll jump in that Suburban with you <laughs> and it was terrifying it was like white knuckle like white out conditioned blizzards and we so we went from Sioux Falls to Duluth to Fargo to Winnipeg in February during a blizzard <laughs> it was like so who needs trivial when you can uh, make your own life hell <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was actually a lot of fun we had a good time yeah I was gonna say you're laughing it's, it does sound like <clears throat> I mean, it's the kind of thing that, that true stand-up comedians would love, right? The chaos, the, well, the camaraderie. But it was also like, I mean, we still, there was a novelty to it for us. Right, because you're not doing it all the time. This is like a... And it's not like, oh, if I don't get this $80, they're going to shut my lights off. It's like, oh, no, we could have bailed. It's like, no, nah, fuck it, we're going to go do it. Right, you don't have to go, you and Bronger don't have to go yeah. back to that closed captioning job. No, no, so we got to, yeah. So I take it when you heard the news that CBS was going to reboot at midnight, you didn't pack up the car and move back to L.A.? I did hear something about that, yeah. I mean, again, it'll be, I don't know, but who's it, is it going to be the same people? Is it going to be the same thing? Is it like, that show is great. I love uh, being on that show. Was, I don't, I know that the executive producer team is like Spartina, Stephen Colbert's okay. crew. Uh, I, don't, honestly, I don't know what involvement they had before when it was Hardwick and... I don't know. I knew like I knew Bart Coleman and right. Like, he was the Booker. Yeah, 
if you know, I'll get you get booked out enough in advance. But you were like the the not I don't want to say the Paul Lind of I'll take, I'll take Paul Lind, sure, why not? The the Nipsey Russell. Sure. The, I liked it. I mean that what, show what old game show references there. I, was, I, mean, I, feel like. I mean there was a few people that really took the points here. I think Funches and Benson took the points seriously. <laughs> But I, that show was great, and it was great for stand-ups. Like, it was great. It was a great showcase to see stand-ups that maybe you didn't know about. And then you got to say, like, hey, I'm going to be in this city this week. Like, that did more for me than any late-night spots. No disrespect to the late-night spots. But people watched at midnight to see stand-up. I don't think people watched late-night to see the stand-up no, at the end. right. So I don't even know if people were watching through the end to see a late night spot, but you tuned in to see the three comics that you knew or didn't know to just make jokes for a half hour, to just do the thing that they're going to not act and like, um, I don't like their stand up, but I thought I liked them because of this sitcom. Like, no, you're doing the thing that you want to do and showcase. And then you get to tell them, hey, this weekend I'm going to be in this town. That show was great for that. Re- for yeah, that. And it was, it was fun. I had a lot of fun. And if they were like, hey, do you want to do it in two weeks? Yeah, I'll book a flight. Yeah, I'll sort it out. I'm, I'm still West Coast. It's not that far. I got a place to stay. You, you heard the man there. Stephen Colbert's Partina. Get, get, yeah. Get, get Kinane on the, on the horn. Let's go. I liked it. It was a good time. So to bring this around, we talked about how years earlier doing these festivals taught you about what you cared about, what you didn't care about. Mm. What do you care about now in terms of your comedy and your career? I, uh... What matters to you? Oh boy! Wow, big closer. I. <laughs> what matters? I don't. Know, I just. I guess. Like, like. Stand up. I. I don't think it's entirely ageless. I think you know. I don't know how. <clears throat> if the interest, like, how am I going to say this? Like, okay, the comedy I was doing in my twenties appealed to other twenty years olds, and the comedy I'm doing in my thirties. Was still like party comedy appealing to 20 and 30 year olds like okay well now I'm 46 I can't keep trying to appeal to a 23 year old because that looks <laughs> fucked up but I also need to retain people that remember what it was like to be 23 <clears throat> and are now in their 30s and this and that like so I guess like relevance mm-hmm. like trying to maintain this idea of relevance and stand up without turning into like the bitchy old guy so, like, trying to still be like, man, actually, things are pretty cool, and I, I still like doing stuff and being alive. And like, things are different now. These kids with their peanut allergies, that kind of dog shit. You know, I don't want to turn right. into that. And so... Well, you said that in your in your newest special, like, let people like yeah. what they like. And Yeah, and I don't... I mean, that's projection, too. I'm talking about projecting, because I do. I sit there, and I'm like, fuck this guy. That guy's in it. I was like, no, I want... I like watching comics grow as people within and seeing it reflect in their mm-hmm. act. And sometimes that's scary because, oh, I built my audience on being this type of person. And now I'm going to go against those expectations to be this kind of person. Well, I hope I've built an audience based on expectations that I'm going to change <laughs> and try and learn and grow. Hopefully. We'll see. Well, I mean, it worked for uh, your podcast buddy, Mark Barron. So yeah. He really grew into his curmudgeon. Yeah, but my man's been through some life. So you, you've had gout. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I still have it. It's an ongoing disease. I, I struggle with it every day. Mm. I don't. I got medicine. I'm fine. It's fine. I'm totally fine. 
<laughs> Everything's fine. You heard it here first. Mm-hmm. Kyle Kinane, thank you so much. Thanks, for, bud. For, mm-hmm. for, for waking up and doing this. I'm going back to bed. All right. <laughs> this episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.